The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to the Patricia Raskin Show, the program that helps you turn obstacles into opportunities, challenges into solutions, and find answers to tough questions. And now, the award-winning powerhouse voice of radio. Here's your host, Patricia Raskin. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to the Patricia Raskin Show. Well, in our first half hour, we have such an interesting guest. We're talking about the Internet, which has uh, basically invaded all of our lives (laughs) in a good way and sometimes not in a good way. So the question is, is Internet privacy dead? Are you the person, you know, are you the person Amazon Alexa or the NSA or the Google think that you are? And we have a very complicated network communication today, and there is surveillance that follows us. So, you know, what's happening, what is the implication with all of our data uh, in terms of the social network connections and the queries? Do they reflect who we are? Because people know who we are by looking at our data. So we have an author today, John Cheney Lipoid, and he says, you are really you online. His book is We Are Data, Algorithms and the Making of Our Digital Selves. And he looks at how our data defines us in ways that shapes how our governments, our advertisers, our marketers, our political campaigners, our employees, and everyone around us. Um, often see us maybe in different ways than we really are. So we're going to talk about that today. We're going to try to stay as upbeat and positive as we can, but this is a very important topic. And uh, I'm very excited to bring on John Cheney Liploid, and he's an assistant professor of American Culture and Digital Studies at the University of Michigan. And his book is We Are Data, Algorithms and the Making of Our Digital Selves. Welcome, John. Hey, how are you doing today? Good. I don't. It, please pronounce your last name. It's Cheney Lippold. Lippold. Okay. All right. Now let's talk about this because this is. Um, I don't know. I don't want to say it's scary, but it is. It can be a concern because our information is everywhere, and if we don't give out our information, we're not going to get what we want, particularly in the digital world. So. Um, you talk in your book about something called post-humanism. What does that mean? How does it shift the emphasis from, you know, material uh, to the information? Yeah, I think that's a really good place to start. And I really like the fact that you said it's not necessarily something that's scary. I would suggest that it's something that just challenges who we are and what we think the world is. And so post-humanism is this idea that I might think of myself as John, I know myself as John, but decisions about me are being made about things that I have control over, such as the data of what I do online, such as data about me that other people collect or purchase, like Google or Facebook. And so what's happening is normally when we think of as a human being, I buy a plane ticket because I want to buy a plane ticket, or I 
I buy a book from Amazon.com because I want that book. What's happening is more and more about data that we can't control. It's having constitutive effect that might then change what books we buy or even in terms of a plane ticket, how much we pay for a plane ticket. It can go up or down based on what kind of data, what kind of browser we use, and even how big our screen size is. Mm-hmm. So what does, that, what does that mean for us? I mean, you suggest that our data doesn't reveal a truth about ourselves, but instead the truth is told to us by an algorithm. So, you know, is this a problem? Explain that. Yeah, I think that we have, we have an idea, yeah, of who we are. So, for example, I identify as a man. I present very masculinely. But, and I invite your listeners to check this out, too. You can Google the, the phrase, what gender does Google think I am? And in the book, I talk through this, but in... Google's version of my world, I'm a 65-year-old woman, right. while in real life or in my other life, I, I'm a 30-something-year-old man. And for me, this idea is not that it, they're wrong. It's just that what they're doing is they're creating an idea of gender, they're creating an idea of age that is entirely separate from how many times it revolves around the sun or what mm-hmm. I might identify or look like. Mm-hmm. And instead, it's this model that they've created based on millions of people's data that then is used to you know, profile me, it's used to target content to me, and it's, it's potentially used to change what kind of price I pay for a certain product because maybe people who are classified as women, whether or not they're women at all, seem to be more likely to pay higher for a certain price than men and men more highly likely to pay a certain price than a woman. I mean, that's the good part of it, correct? It's, it's the challenging part. Because normally we think of when, when we approach like a product that we want to buy, we assume that we know how much the product is. We assume we know the consistency of the product. But more importantly, we assume that there's a market that's treating all of us the same. That, Patricia, you're not going to be given a different price than me just because of who you are. That we assume that there's some sort of baseline notion that the consumer is going to get the same thing. What's happening is that people are using data to then make people think that they're getting the best deal, but instead they're maybe paying $100 more for a plane ticket than somebody who is using a different web browser, a different operating system, or Google thinks is a different gender. And the important thing is that this always goes through. A lot of people, you can go to a dealership for a car and buy a car, and if they like you, they might get 50 or $100 off the car, sure. But it's that we never really know what we're being targeted as. We never really know how we're being identified. And so because of that, we're in this world where we don't really know what's true or not, or if we're getting a good deal or if we're getting a bad deal. Hmm. Okay, so how does that work in our favor, or does it? It sounds like it doesn't. It, it, it's really hard to think of how it works in our favor precisely because companies like Facebook or Google, they have so much information, not just about what you say you do. In terms of Facebook, you post things on Facebook, you upload photos. All of those things have a constitutive effect on what you called your post-humanity. But mm-hmm. also, Google will, or Facebook or Google knows um, not just, for example, that you uploaded a photo, But since you might have Facebook on your phone, it's connecting your phone to all of the other phones in the coffee shop that you're at, for example. Or in the case of a Facebook patent that was purchased, it says you might have a credit score that is 700, for example. But if all of your friends that you communicate with in your Facebook account have a really high credit score, it actually might pull your score up. 
or vice versa. Oh. If you have a 700 credit card score and all of your friends have bad credit, it actually might pull your credit score down, not because you actually are likely or more likely to pay or less likely to pay um, your credit card bill back, but that the idea is that these credit scores are predictors and they use information that's not just your information, but information about your social networks. So you're saying if I'm in a, this is amazing to me, if I'm in a coffee shop and I'm trying to figure out my credit score with other people there, that that could affect my score? Social networks from who you talk to to even who you're around a lot has been seen to be a very important predictor for if you're not or if you are or are not able to pay back your credit card. And so people have used that in the past to determine your credit score, yeah. That's amazing. That I, that I had no but, idea. <laughs> but, wow. But that, in, a, in a way, there's a kind of a beautiful networked family that we're all becoming. That in one way, we might be screwed over by other people, but in other ways... Let's say you have a bad credit score, but all your friends are trying to help you out. It actually might increase your credit score. But the important argument of the book is that it's not just you who determines what your credit score score is or even how diligent you are in paying your credit cards back. That what's happening is the world or these companies are using more and more data in order to create an idea of you that, again, has no necessary connection to who you are, but has extraordinary connection to your access to credit or the ways you pay for pricing. Interesting. So... It's almost as though you're kind of categorized into a group based on your interests or your, your, you know, your affiliations or your organizations, correct? Yeah, precisely. There, there's an example that I also talk about in the book of how the NSA does this. The National Security Agency in the 2013 Snowden revelations, they ran into this important problem, which is how do you determine online if somebody is a citizen or a foreigner? And so... To give you an example from today, right now I'm talking to you over Skype from Italy, and Mm. so there's nothing necessarily that makes my data a citizen data. It seems like it's coming from somebody in Italy. It seems like it's coming from an Italian, necessarily. And so the NSA wasn't able to figure out who they could surveil, which are foreigners, and who they couldn't, which are citizens of the U.S. And so they created an algorithm. They use things that are not at all connected to what we normally think of as citizenship producing, such as if you have a passport, if you have a birth certificate, if your parents are American, et cetera, et cetera. Rather, what they do is they use a lot of very interesting and quasi-legal things, such as what language you speak, where your IP address seems to be drawing from, what kind of people you talk to, if or if not they're citizens or believed to be citizens in this algorithmic form, if or if not you encrypt your communications. And based on all of this data, the NSA documents from the Snowden revelations showed that if you're 51% confidently believed to be a foreigner, the NSA can surveil you, which mm. means that that doesn't have to be entirely sure. It just has to be 51%, which is, yeah, 1% more than mm. half, just I don't know. And so well. really it, it, that changes the notion of the citizenship itself. But that, I mean, maybe I'm just, just from what you're saying, I'm hearing it's almost kind of like profiling in a way, is it? It's, it's 100% profiling, but as you said, it's, it's profiling without you necessarily having any attachment to it or knowing it or knowing the boxes that you're being mm-hmm. put in. And that normally we think of, okay, I'm a certain gender online, or okay, maybe I pay $50 more on a plane ticket. But at the end of the day, what we're talking about is the actual right to privacy being something that is profiled versus owned and a, a right that citizens have. Mm. 
So I guess we've got a couple minutes before break, and then we'll come back and, and talk more about this. But how do you see this, John? I mean, do you think this, I mean, it's here to stay, but do you mm-hmm. see this as a good thing? And if it's not a good thing, is it sounds like we don't have any control over this. So I don't want to be completely dystopian. I think it's something that's going to bring so many new challenges that we've yet to really figure out how to face mm-hmm. them. But mm-hmm. the, I think the important thing is that we, we have to know that, yes, we're never going to be able to just shut ourselves off and just close our doors because if our phone's on, the phone can listen to us, the phone can figure out what we say and what kind of words we use and maybe profile us if we're happy or sad. Our TVs can do the same thing. All of these new technologies that we bring into our home have the you know, comparable capacity to surveil you. But what we have to do is we have to figure out how we can mm-hmm. figure out how to control, get the control back from these technologies. Well, you know, it's funny because when you say that, I'm, you know, I'm thinking here about how in today's world, I mean, think of it about our forefathers, right, 50, 60, 70 yeah. years ago, where most of the communications were in person. Right. I mean, if you go back even even 50, 60, of course, more than that, but most majority of communications and now a majority of communications are not in person. You're not face to face. Right. Mm-hmm. And even if you have a face to face communication, if I would meet you for coffee, Patricia, that we would have our phones next to each other. And yes, then there's a database somewhere that yep. puts them together. So, yep. yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm when I meet with someone, my phone is right out there. I'm already connecting them. Right? Or I'm looking up something. Yeah, that's exactly. very true. Wow. Oh, this is very fascinating. All right. We are going to come back and talk more to John Cheney Lippo. And his book is We Are Data Algorithms and the Making of Our Digital Selves. You're listening to The Patricia Raskin Show right here on VoiceAmerica.com. America's Voice will be right back. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Have you found the beauty inside of you? Join Bonnie Bonadeo each week for Beauty Inside and Out. We'll explain how beauty plays a part in everybody's lives. Our guests are makeup artists, hairdressers, and doctors. But we'll also feature holistic and wellness specialists and spiritual advisors. You can find that beauty inside and express it to its fullest on the outside. Tune in to Beauty Inside and Out every Thursday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Where are you getting your advice on buying, selling, or maintaining your most important asset, your home? Is it from a reality show on cable TV, a comparison website, or are you just flying by the seat of your pants and gut instinct? Stop now before you make another move. Tune into Real Real Estate Today with host and realtor Deb Tomorrow. You can't afford to play guesswork when it comes to your new or existing home. Listen every Tuesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific, on Voice America Variety. Want an insider's pass to everything that goes on in Hollywood? Join Summer Helene every week for Behind the Scenes. Summer Helene is known as the Duchess of Hollywood because she knows the insiders, legends, and celebs and brings the stories, the gossip, and the backstage scoop. It's the real Hollywood, though. So this program is for adults only. Behind the Scenes can be heard live every Friday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time and 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. 
Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. You are listening to The Patricia Raskin Show. If you wish to call into our program today, please call 1-866-472-5788. That number again is 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to Patricia at PatriciaRaskin.com. Now, back to The Patricia Raskin Show. Welcome back, everyone, to The Patricia Raskin Show right here on VoiceAmerica.com. My guest is John Cheney Lippo, and his book is We Are Data, Algorithms and the Making of Our Digital Selves. So we've been talking about, you know, all of the information that all of the powers that be are getting when we're online from whether we're using not just our credit cards, but all of our preferences. And now we're starting to get things on our website from uh, companies that know what our preferences are. So, welcome back, John. Let's talk about um, the algorithms, how that works in terms of like the bits of data and that we produce. Explain all that. You explained some of it before, but explain yeah. what the algorithms mean. So, so, an algorithm is very simply just a set of instructions that calculates an output. We can think of a recipe as an algorithm. We can think of a, a dance step as an algorithm, which is just a set of things that then ends sooner or later, produces something new. And so companies like Google or agencies like the NSA, what they do is they have a certain rule set which new data comes in and it values that data in a certain way so that it spits it out. So it says you're a citizen or you're a foreigner, you're a man or you're a woman. Um, but the important thing is that the, data, the, the algorithms, they need data. And so a lot of the reasons why every time you sign up for something, they ask for your email or how old you are or what your zip code is and why there's a 80-some billion dollar industry to data traffic and in advertisements is because if you can centralize all of the data together, not just what kind of stuff you click on, but where you are, who your friends are, um, when, when you visit websites at what time and what, in what sequence, all of those things can be used, not necessarily individually, but if you aggregate them all together, it can spit out something that is very potentially more accurate than who you might identify yourself to be. We've probably all been surprised when we get an advertisement for something. We're like, oh, maybe I should get that, but you would never thought of that before. Um, the issue, though, at hand is that when we have all of this data, not all of it's volitional. It's not, I would argue 99% of the data that they have is not something that we want them to have. Um, and because of that, I think we have to yeah, reorient how we understand ourselves when, when we interface with relationships or institutions of power, when we, with capital or with the state. It's not just us connecting to the states or to companies. It's our data, the post-humanism that we talked about earlier that's connecting. And so by being adept and attending to that very, very big, massive data that's being used and read through algorithms, I think it, it in one way controls it, but it also gives us a very, I think, important degree of freedom. Because it's not us, as Patricia and John, being identified. It's our data. And data is something that is easily foolable. We can spoof data. We can change it. If we want freedom, there's ways to get outside of it. So the argument that I have in the book is that all of these things might seem very controlling and scary, yes. of which they can be. They totally can be. But I think because these organizations aren't addressing you as you, 
there's ways you can create data automatically or kind of create random data that avoids you being located in any of these categories, that avoids you being profiled in a way that you don't want to. Because unlike when you go to the, if you are arrested by uh, the police, you have to give your fingerprints. Your fingerprints are very hard to spoof. But your data is very easy to spoof. Your data is very easy to produce new data that has no meaning whatsoever Mm -hmm. that actually might confound things. And the algorithms that we were talking about, they all rely on patterns. That if your data fits a certain pattern, you become that profile or that identity is given to you. But what you can do is you can produce a lot of different data that's random then thus completely destroys the fact of their pattern being present. And because of that, you might actually have more freedom or more ability to navigate the Internet anonymously and without that explicit how, control. How would you do talking. that, John? Give us an example of how you might do that. So there's a very interesting plugin that you can download right now. It's called Track Me Not. It was a New York University academic project that turned into a, a piece of software that what it does is it takes news items from the top 10 newspapers online. It takes all of the names and, and words that were used in the headlines and it randomly kind of puts them together that every six seconds or, uh, or every six seconds or so without you intending it, you just have to install the plugin, it automatically searches Google, Bing, Yahoo, AOL, a lot of different sites with random rogue queries. And so mm. you might be searching for new shoes, but these you know, six different sites are being asked six, every six seconds different questions that have nothing really to say. And so that question about you buying new shoes is going to then be a, hidden in the craziness. And because of that, a company, when you actually want to go buy shoes, they won't know you've been searching for shoes and maybe give you a higher price because they know you're more likely to buy that product. Interesting. So there, there are certain things you think that, that we can do. Um, what would you say to, I mean, what's some of the advice? You just gave some about something we can do. What else do you think we can do? I mean, one of the things you say in your book is that policing and security agencies can create predictive policing algorithmic categories, and they can label certain people at risk for committing crime. Now, that's not a bad thing. That part isn't bad. Talk about that. It, it, so, it, 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 ideally, this is the important part that, yeah, we haven't talked about yet. Ideally, with data, it becomes, you become smarter. With more data, you become more likely to get the right person in terms of law enforcement and not lock up the wrong person. Right. But the problem is, you have to understand, you have to also think, where does the data come from? And so... In the case of what I talk about in the book, which is the Chicago Police Department, the data that came from the Chicago the Police Department it was actually extraordinarily racially biased. And so most of the mm. people in their system were actually of you know, black or brown skin. And so they were being locked up more likely than white people or other kind of identities. Um, and so what you have to think about is how the data that is being used is not just naturally occurring, it's not universally given, that some people who have um, more money or some people who have more smarts and savvy about them, they actually can have more privacy precisely because they know what kind of sites to use or you know, they can afford to have technologies that don't necessarily require them to give data away. And so I'm really interested in the book and thinking through that question of how can we use algorithms for good, but also understand that even the most well-intentioned algorithm can actually have negative consequences if you don't take into account where the data comes from and how the data might improperly or asymmetrically represent populations. 
So we have a few minutes left. So what would you say to listeners who want to protect their data as much as they can? I would say, one, don't be scared, which is, I think, the important part, because once, when you become scared, then you just give everything away and you kind of throw up your hands and cede it to the people who own the data. Mm-hmm. The other part would be to install these things, like Track Me Not, um, to think about, there's an application called Ghosterly.com. I think that's the website, Ghosterly, G-H-O-S-T-E-R-Y. It's a plugin that shows you that every web page you go to, it shows you what sites or what companies are watching your data. And so every new site you go to, it shows you that six or seven companies are watching you. So while you're not able to disallow them from watching you, you are knowing that these things are happening and you know that you're being surveilled. So it's a constant reminder. And I think just much like when we walk out onto the streets, we know we have to address and attend ourselves differently. I think online, we just have to get into that. It it might be cynical. We have to get into that perspective where nothing is really private. But then when we understand that and accept that, then we can start thinking about what are the logics at play by which they try to control us? What are the logics at play by which we have less freedom? And then by understanding that, we're not going to be, you know, I guess, using really 20th century strategies and techniques for a very 21st century problem. Mm. Tell people how they can get your book or maybe talk to you or learn more. You're more than welcome to go to wearedata.com, wearedatabook.com, or just search for We Are Data on on Google, and then it will tell Google that you like the book and you might be profiled accordingly. Um, Also, you can just Google John Cheney Lippold and University of Michigan and go go to my faculty page or send me an email through the, um, the link on the page. Are you looking for people's comments and responses about all of this? Yeah, and especially if you have questions. I think that 30 minutes, as much as it's a long time, is actually quite short to get to the real depth of what this topic is. So if anybody has any questions, I'd be more than happy to answer them. Okay, and tell us again the website. It is wearedatabook.com. Okay. Really appreciate you being on the program, John. It was very uh, enlightening. And again, folks, again, just log on to wearedatacorrect.com. WeAreDataBook.com. Okay. All right. Again, the book is We Are Data, Algorithms and the Making of Our Digital Selves with John Cheney Lippold. Thanks so much, John. Stay on the line for a second. Thanks so much for being on the program. All right, folks. Coming up next, we have our next interview right here on VoiceAmerica.com. I'm Patricia Raskin for The Patricia Raskin Show. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Thank you for tuning in to this week's edition of the Patricia Raskin Show. Be sure to join Patricia Raskin and another amazing guest next Monday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have an outstanding week.